You guys ready? Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. We're going to start in verse 19. We got a lot to cover. This is really intense material. So we need to pray again. (laughs) We need to pray again. And we need to keep going before the Lord uh, to just prepare our hearts to receive it. And I need prayer. As I'm praying, just pray for me. As I'm talking, just pray for me because this is a lot. So let's go before the Lord again. God, we, we trust in you. We, we acknowledge you that this is your word. Um, God, I acknowledge that these are your people. This is, this is your work. Your spirit is already moving. You're already doing work here. You're already making hearts tender to receive your word. There's so many people here that are just eager to just take in what you have to say and are eager to follow you and worship you. I just thank you for that. This isn't my work, this is your work. And so I ask that you would speak. Speak through me, speak way more words, way more more effective teaching than I could ever teach uh, through your spirit because we know that you said your your spirit is uh, a a revealer of truth and a teacher. So um, have your way in Jesus' name. So let's go ahead and read the passage, Hebrews chapter 10, starting in verse 19. And we're going to finish the chapter. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Verse 26. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God, and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified, and has outraged the Spirit of grace. For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Verse 32. But recall the former days when, after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, sometimes being partners with those so treated, for you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore... 
Do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. Verse 38, but my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not those who shrink back and are destroyed, but those who have faith and preserve their souls. Lord, bless the preaching of your word. Well, I'm just going to start by saying I'm not going to unpack this as much as I want to. It's like impossible in this short period of time. Um, but this is meaty and it's heavy. But uh, it got me thinking about when this letter was written and you know, we always try to think as far as for expositional preaching, you have to read it and, and put yourself in the mind of the Hebrew. Okay, so, so imagine what it was like for the Hebrew to hear this. And so you have to think like a Hebrew. We've, we've had forced to think like a Hebrew as we've been going back to the Old Covenant stuff that we don't understand, right? We have to go, well, what does it mean to like go in the temple? But we have to continue to put our minds uh, in, in their minds to think like them. <clears throat> and I was thinking about what it must have been like for them to read this. And I thought of a few uh, illustrations. One is that like, have you ever had like a project that's like, it's, it's a new project, but it's similar to like another project that you've done before. And so you just like, you go, okay, well, I've done this, something similar to before, so I'm just going to like default to the, to the stuff that I've used before, the tools I use, the equipment I've used, the experience I have with it, and you, you feel pretty confident, and then it's project day, and you, you show up, and you bring the tools that you use for the old project, and you bring the equipment, and you bring the knowledge and experience, and you realize it's like a completely different thing. And then you start trying to do the work, and you're like, this isn't working, and like, progress isn't being made and you're like breaking stuff because the tool wasn't made for this particular thing and you're just like this is terrible this is nothing like what I thought it was like the the default that I was using or the go-to's that I was using need to go I thought of another illustration um I used to play Nintendo uh, when I was younger. You guys know the Super Nintendo. Everybody, anybody plays Super Nintendo? So I loved the game Street Fighter. I used to be, I would say I was pretty good at it, okay? I had the, I had the Arukin down, like I could just throw, throw that thing like over and over to where like the other guy didn't stand a chance, right? So, but then now we have the Nintendo Switch with the Super Smash Bros. And it's like, it's similar, but it's not quite, the same at all. Like, you try to use the same, like, training that you had where you hit the right buttons with the, with the Super Nintendo, or the Nintendo Switch controller is completely different. It's got, like, these extra buttons up here and down here. It's, like, not the same at all. So you take your go-tos to that, and it doesn't work. And I realized that pretty quickly when my kids were just creaming me on this game. <laughs> and it was so frustrating. I'm like, this is stupid! Um, so, like... What they do, like in the old game, you, you just walk on this, you know, plane and you go back and forth and it's totally fine. But now in this Nintendo Switch, there's like these ledges that you can fall off. And it's not fair. Like, you can literally just like, you're fighting, you're fighting, right? And you're doing great. And then all of a sudden you just fall off the edge and you're dead. 
It's dumb. I hate the creators of this game. Um, I'm not bitter about my kids beating me at something that I thought I was really good at it at all. Um, but like, I brought my go-tos to that game, and but my, my go-tos had to go uh, in order for me to really get it. Um, this is what it was like for the Hebrews when Jesus came and the old covenant was done away with and the new covenant was established. They needed to take their go-tos for worship and they needed those go-tos to go in order for them to really get what this new covenant was all about. So imagine what it was like for them. Jesus comes and, it, and, and the old is done away with so that the new could be established and they're like, they're like well, well, how do we worship now? How do we do this thing that, that called worship when now all that we knew has been stripped away? As I said, um, he's basically done making his arguments of like why Jesus is better than the old covenant, and now he's getting to the application. So what he's going to do is he's going to start training them in this new way of worship. He's going to be like, all right, so I've made the point. It's done. It's in the past. It's replaced. And now he's going to be like, all right, this is what it looks like to worship as a Christian. So this is what he's going to do. Um, they're asking the question, if you're thinking like a Hebrew, that like, okay, so if I'm not going to the temple, where am I going? And if I'm not, you know, going into the temple and going through these ceremonies to w- all these washing ceremonies, how am I clean? And if I'm not bringing a sacrifice with me, with its blood spilt and its broken body, what am I bringing in my hands to to worship. So I, I think they, they really would have been thinking this. So that when we get to verse 19, and he says, therefore, brothers, I think what he's getting at is like, okay, now that the old covenant is in the past, this is how we do it. So let's, let's look at some of the new things that are established. You see, first of all, you see a new temple. When he says, we have confidence to enter the holy places, where's that? in heaven the holy places are now in heaven that's the true holy of holies right keep that in mind we have a new sacrifice when he says the blood of jesus and through his flesh we have a new entrance when it says the new and living way that's been open to us and we have a new priest and he says a great priest over the house of God. So these are all the new things. And if you're, again, if you're thinking like a Hebrew, you're going like, well, that's all great, but that's all like heaven stuff. The the holy place is in heaven now. Where do I go? What do I do? How do I do this thing? What about right now? And so he paints this picture as he um, begins to talk about um, you know, as he gets into the imperatives of let us draw near, I think for me, automatically, when I read that let us draw near, I'm thinking like, 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 like just praying or worshiping, but um, I think what he's really doing here is since he's saying there is a new holy place in heaven and we have a new way that's opened in heaven that we're gonna, that we're gonna enter, 
Now it's having confidence to press forward in anticipation of entering. And I, and I think that he's going to continue to make that case. So, so let's look at verse 22. Actually, let's start at verse 19 and let's go to verse 22. Watch how he begins to train them. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he, had op- he has opened for us through the curtain, that is through the, his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, here it is, the first um, application, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. Notice he keeps using temple worship analogies. He knows that this is what's going to make sense for them. So he's using these temple worship analogies, and what he's doing is he's giving them a picture of like, okay, as a Hebrew, as a good Hebrew, you knew what it meant to prepare for going to the temple, right? You had to to have your sacrifice. You had to um, do your washings. And so he's saying... um, as you're preparing for that, this is the new way that we prepare to enter into the presence of God. So, yes, we have the presence of God through the Spirit, but he's talking about the presence of God finally, fully completed where he dwells in heaven. And he's saying, as we draw near to the holy place, this is how we are to worship. This is, this, I had to read this over and over to, to get the, the, the difference of, instead of thinking of it as something that we're, we're just um, entering through prayer, yes, we do in a certain sense, but I think that there's, a, there's a sense of the, the final day when we enter into his presence in heaven. That's really important. So again, if not with sacrifices, then what? What's in my hand? What am I bringing? And what does he say in verse um, 22? What, what is in our hands? What are we bringing into as we prepare to enter into this holy place? What is it? Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. And I think there's two aspects that he's going to hit on as uh, ways of worship. One is inward, and, and it's more horizontal, or vertical, sorry. One is inward and vertical, and one is horizontal. So one is more private, and the other one's more public. And so I'm going to call these two uh, faith-filled heart posture Two aspects of worship, a faith-filled heart posture and a hope-filled, bold confession. So first, a faith-filled heart posture. Like he said, like, like I said, in verse 22, he says to draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. Do you see what the replacement, what, what we're bringing in our hands? It's, it's a, it's, It's full assurance of faith. That's what we're bringing. It's the new thing that we bring. Each time he says with, I think he's speaking of replacement. So in the old covenant, 
there were animal sacrifices. In the new, there's a true heart, full assurance of faith. In the old, you have washing ceremonies. In the new, you have a heart that is sprinkled clean. Do you see the communication of how he is making it clear that the depth and the emphasis on the heart? Because before, the washings did what? They just washed your hands. Now look at, look at the depth of the cleansing that happens. In the old, it could only cleanse the outside of the cup. And now what does it do? It cleanses the heart. And so he's speaking and he's emphasizing a much deeper purification um, in not just hands that are washed, but then he says bodies even hearts and bodies, that, that really speaks of a totality of our entire being that comes clean. That full assurance of faith that, um, that, that makes us pure is, is that trust in the, in the perfect work of Jesus. It's that delighting in the grace of God as you come knowing that, that he offered a sacrifice once for all time for you. That's that full assurance of faith. Faith might be good to stop and, and just define that real quick, and we're going to talk mainly about faith and hope. Faith is just trusting that when God says something, you know that he is telling you the truth and you believe him. Faith is knowing he's going to keep his word. Hope, on the other hand, is anticipating the, obtaining the promise. So faith knows that the way is open, because he said the way is open, right? The door is open. So faith knows that that's, that's a fact. Hope is actually fixated on what you will receive once you enter in. So it's kind of like if, you, um, if you're, you're, you're out in the cold, Okay, and someone tells you, like, there's a cabin a couple miles away. And faith would be like, I believe you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to walk to this cabin. Hope would be like, man, I'm just fixated on going into a place that's warm. And I just can't wait to be there. So these two partnering together, hope and faith, is what we live by. It is our new way of worship as we're walking and approaching. This, this word draw near can also be translated approach. So as we're approaching this entrance, what are we taking with us? We're taking with us faith and knowing that what God said, he, he means it. He's going to come through. He, he's going to follow through with everything that he said is, is true. And then hope is like, oh man, what is it going to be like to be there? What is it going to be like to be in his presence and to have sin removed and to have pain and sickness all behind me? That's hope. So watch how he draws out both of those in this passage. Do you remember, and back to this depth of, so this faith, this faith isn't just in the future, it's also trusting in his past work, knowing that Jesus 
offered himself as our sacrifice by which we're forgiven. But we also, um, we also think through like the depth of the cleansing that we have. Do you guys remember when, when Peter, when, when Jesus was washing Peter's feet? And, and Peter says, not, not just my feet, Lord, my hands and my head too. And you remember what Jesus said to him? He said, well, if you've, if you've bathed, you don't need to be washed again. And then he says these, these words that are just so powerful. You are clean. And I think last week we were like, we needed to just declare, you are forgiven through the blood of Jesus. Maybe this week you need to hear, you are clean through the blood of Jesus. Now, I, I, I think for me, I need to hear that. Because it isn't what we do that purifies us. It's by faith in what Jesus has done. We're coming with this, with this faith that goes, Jesus, you said that you were going to wash me and make me clean. You said you are clean. Faith says, I believe you. I believe you when you tell me that. So that's the first aspect of worship. When it's inward, it's an, it's an it's a, uh, inward vertical uh, aspect of worship, which is, which is like saying, God, I trust you. Then there's the outward expression of worship, with, which basically goes out to the world or, or, or more in public and says, hey, listen up, guys, God is good. It's, it's, the, it's the outward side. It's the confession side that he's going to now get into. Let's just read verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. What's a confession? A confession is basically saying like, this is what I believe. It's an outward thing. And he's telling us, hold fast this confession. So, so what is a confession of hope? And it actually says, of our hope. You're outwardly telling the world, look, my hope is in Jesus. It's not in this world. It's an outward expression and confession. So as he before is giving them a replacement of um, temple worship, of more the inward thing, now he's giving them a replacement for how we worship on the other end. And that is through a horizontal worship of life, the life that we, that we live in a more public way. He's basically telling them, when he tells them to not, um, to hold fast their confession without wavering, this is what I think he means by this, and I'm going I'm to hopefully prove it. Basically, tell the world where your hope is. By what you say and by how you interact with them and by what you value, don't let their opinions of you or what they might do to you cause you to waver at all. That's basically what he's telling them, I believe. 
So in verses um, 32 and 34, we have a really sweet, and I'm going to cheat a little bit. I'm going to skip forward, and, and let's look at verses 32 through 34, and let's see how he commends them for being unashamed in the way that they worship more publicly, okay, more uh, uh, while they're interacting with the world. Let's see how he draws out the fact that they held fast their confession in the past. Okay, so verse 32 through 34. But recall the former days when, after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with suffering, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. What was their confession of hope? That they had a better possession. They had a better and abiding possession. That was their confession of hope. How did they communicate that outwardly? By enduring. What did it look like to practically endure? Well, in verse 34, it says, you had compassion on those in prison and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. So they showed their, where their hope was when they went to this prison where their fellow Christians were and they put their own lives in, in danger and they risked their own necks to feed and clothe other Christians in prison and they were like, I don't care if that means that I lose stuff. I don't care if it means that my property is, is plundered. I'm going to hold fast my confession of where my hope is and I'm going to minister to these fellow Christians of mine. I'm going to show, I'm going to show Jesus where my hope is. My hope is actually in you. It's not in the approval of man and I'm going to continue to endure and minister and serve these Christians. Back then, if you didn't do that, if someone was in prison, they would die if they didn't have loved ones coming to give them food and clothing. So their confession of their hope was being unashamed to an unbelieving world. It was not letting what the world might think or the world might do to cause you to waver or make you go, you know what, uh, I think I'm just going to sit this one out because I'm not sure what might happen if I go out and make this confession that I'm a Christian because I don't know what might happen. He's like, no, don't waver. Hold fast this confession of where your hope actually is. Because you know the world, actually, when they look at us, unless they see that, supernatural, enduring, you know what, automatically what they think, this is what I thought before I was a Christian, like you've got a dead king, you've got a dead Messiah, you've got, you, you talk about this kingdom, non-existent, that's their default, that's, what, that, that's where they're at, that's where I was, unless the spirit of God awakens us to see by faith that King Jesus is risen and he, and, he, and he is sitting on the throne and he does have a kingdom, that's our default. So I think that, that when he says, hold fast your confession of our hope, 
I think he's talking about an outward confession among non-believers. And so, and I think that continues, look at verse 24. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Why do you think these guys might have been tempted to neglect the gathering? Why do you think there was a habit of some to neglect the gathering? Based on what we just read, look what happened to them. Their property was plundered. Their lives were threatened. Can you remember the last time that your life was in danger to just go fellowship with Christians? We have to put our minds in the Hebrew of the day. That's what it was like for them. They had a lot of risk involved with just gathering with Christians. Praise God we have that, but we have to, we have to really stop and think about what that was like. So, not neglecting and showing up. You know, I don't think this quite, like the way that we often use it, like you just need to show up to church and you need to just sit and listen to a message or sing some songs. Like it's just, there's so much more to it than that. How do we know? Well, he says like when you, he says let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. That's what is the, in opposition to neglecting the gathering. So it's not just that we come and we're here and that's awesome, let's do that, let's just gather. Sometimes you just need to show up, but what we want is so much more than that. We wanna be stirred up. We wanna encourage one another to be unashamed with this confession that we have. To, to remind each other, look, our king isn't dead. He's alive, he's risen, and his kingdom is breaking through this world. We have to remind each other and encourage one another, and I think I might even take it a step further and say that um, the love and good works might even be toward the lost. So if our tendency is to see the, the lost or see the world and to shy away out of fear or maybe shame, you know what I need to hear? Don't, don't shy away. Don't draw back. Press forward and love them supernaturally and do good works to them. Because you know what the gospel is? The gospel is that God loved his enemies. And when Jesus said, love your enemies, he was like, live out the gospel. And so when we go out and we make this confession of where our hope is, and we go out unashamed, we are worshiping in that second aspect of it being um, horizontal, external. Now it's not for show and it's not being obnoxious, but nonetheless it's being unashamed. A great way to worship the Lord in a practical way is just to prioritize how we can encourage and stir one another up. 
You know, notice it says consider how. Consider. That's a really important word. Because you can show up and you can be like, hey, I have an encouraging word for you and I have no idea who you are. And that will probably be encouraging. But now imagine a better scenario where you're like, who is that person? What are their needs right now? Where are they in their life? What, how would they receive encouragement in the, in the best case scenario? Who are they? You might need to actually spend some time thinking about that. That's what he's telling them to do. Don't draw back and hide and be ashamed. Think through how you can stir up to love and good works. I think there are two imperatives here, and I think that there's a subpoint underneath the holding fast. So the first one being draw near with a full assurance of faith, and the second one being hold fast the confession of our hope. And I think the subpoint is when we hit the word and. When it when it says um, and, let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. That word and can also be translated also or indeed. I think that it reads naturally if you put the word indeed in there, and that way it would read kind of like. Um, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promises faithful. Indeed, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. I think that reads naturally that way, but uh, no other translation translates it that way, so I might be a complete heretic in this. <laughs> I just think that's how it naturally reads, that it's like a subpoint. It's like, what better way to hold fast your confession of your hope than to meet with Christians? especially for them at that time. Now for us, it's like it's harder for us to fit it in to make that make sense, but I think for them, it's, it's a perfect logical flow. So in verse 25, you also notice that he says, as the day, as you see the day drawing near. What he's doing there is he's adding more motivation to, uh, to, to hold fast this confession of our hope. He's like, there's a day drawing near. It's coming. It's coming closer. It's similar to, he's like, okay, now draw near with a full assurance of faith. You're, 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 approaching, you're approaching this day when, um, when you will be in the presence of God fully and finally. But then he's like, there is a day that's approaching. And so what he's doing is he's taking this day, and we'll see that it's the return of Christ. He's taking this day and he's adding more motivation to holding fast your confession. But how does it add more motivation? We're going to see how it adds a warning and, uh, <clears throat> and a motivation to encourage one another when we meet. Look at, um, actually, it, this reminds me, it, it's an echo of this like sense of urgency. It's an echo of what Jesus, or what, uh, what, the, the, what the author says in chapter 3. If you want to jump back there, you can. I'm going to read it to you. Chapter 3, verse 12. He says, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil 
unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But, this is, this is, this is very similar to, like, let's con- consider how we can stir one another and let's meet together, right? He says, but exhort one another every day as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. How do we prevent this falling away and this um, hearts growing evil and unbelieving? Well, we have to meet with one another and exhort one another every day. So this, this is a similar exhortation. But he, he turns the heat up like 10 times here. He'll take this idea of the day, and he's going to basically draw out the fact that this day is a double-edged sword. Now, it's great news for us who are holding fast and, and are, are coming with hearts with full assurance of faith and with hope for that day that it's going to be a rescue for us. It's good news. The day is good news for us that are in that place, but for those who are shrinking back and those who are neglecting and those who are ashamed and those who are drawing back and those who are in this other category, it's not good news, it's actually terrible news. And watch how he shows that, Read. start reading in verse 26. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, There no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Then he again, and here in verse 28, he's taking the law of Moses and he's taking the old covenant and he's speaking the language of the Hebrew, right? Watch, he's going to say, anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. They got this idea of the warning of judgment for sinning intentionally and deliberately in the old covenant. They got that. Now he's like, okay, now take that and how much worse is it going to be? And he says, verse 29, the punishment do you think who uh, will be deserved by the one who's trampled underfoot the Son of God? This is somebody who got the gospel. This is somebody who's tracking all the way through in this letter and they're like, yep, I get it. I get Jesus is better. Yep. Check, got it. Jesus is better. I, I'm all on board with that. But then it says that this person is, or, or this scenario, this path, that they're, they're now trampling underfoot the Son of God. And then it says profane the blood of the covenant by calling it unclean. It's like, no big deal. Yeah, Jesus died for my sin, but, and, yeah, but, but it's, it's not a big thing. It's not as important as what the world has to offer me. I mean, come on. That's where this path is. And then it says, um, the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified. I think this is talking about a, now you can disagree with me. A lot of commentators disagree with me, but, and I did a lot of study on this, maybe even the most on this phrase by which he was sanctified. I think this is an initial sanctification of being baptized, being set apart. You're a churchgoer now, you're, um, but you do not have the spirit of God. You not, have not been born again. That's how I'm reading that. And then it says, you have outraged the spirit of grace. Grace. 
For we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay, and again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. He's basically saying, if anyone dares to go down this path, here's what awaits you. If anyone dares to go on sinning, even after you got it, even after you're now in, you're now in the fellowship, you're in the visible church, you're coming, you're showing up, you've made the confession, and now you're throwing it away. I think the context, the more immediate context, is that these are Hebrews that, are, that went from Old Covenant life, they went to Christian life, and now they're returning back to uh, Judaism. So that's the more immediate context. The larger context is that in every, um, in every letter, we have warnings that are similar to this. This, this, the book of Hebrews is not completely unique in the fact that there are a lot of other warnings, like I think it's Corinthians where he says, um, uh, if you practice such things, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. Right, so, so he's writing that to Christians, and this is written to this mixed crowd of those who are in the visible church. It's a warning of apostasy. Apostasy can, apostasies can only... Apostasy can only happen to one who professed faith in Jesus in the first place. So I think that's the category we're dealing with. Jesus talked about the weed and the tares, the sheep and the goat, goats, that we wouldn't be able to tell the difference. I think this is the category we're dealing with. And this sounds very similar if you consider those who decide to throw it all away, even after they got it. They decide to throw it all away based on their fear, based on their, uh, their fear and their shame of, of what the world might think of them. This reminds me of what Jesus said in Matthew 10 when he says, um, basically, don't fear them. Fear God who can destroy the body and the soul in hell. And then he, then he finishes the whole thing as he, as he continues to speak truth that, that like how much more valuable are you than many sparrows? He finishes it with saying that those who confess me before men, I'll confess before the Father. And those who deny me before men, I'll deny before the Father. So this, this outward confession that he's telling us, hold on to it. Don't throw it away. And he continues, and we're going to have to finish here. I knew it would be hard for, you to, for me to make it through all this. The kindness and severity of God. This is what I see here. This is a good mixture of the kindness and severity of God. First of all, the warning itself is kind of God. Now, God doesn't have to warn us, but he does. This warning is God's kindness. He's like, look, if, if, if any of you would dare to head down this road, here's what could happen. And he continues with this tone. Let's, let's read the rest of the passage. Verse 35, therefore, do not throw away your confidence. Listen to this kindness. 
which has a great reward. For you have a need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised, kindness. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and not delay. This is, this is the day, right? The coming one will come on that day. Verse 38. But my righteous one shall live by faith. What is faith? It's taking what God has said, and it's like, I believe you, God. I believe you that you're coming, and I'm going to hold fast my confession that my hope is in in you. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. And then kindness, look at this. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve our souls. So, all of that was like all for the Hebrews. That was all for like explaining what the passage said. I haven't even got to the part where it's like, okay, what about us? So what about us? What, what um, go-tos for worship need to go for you? Like maybe, maybe you were brought up in a Christian home. I wasn't but maybe you were brought up in a Christian home where you have ways of thinking and, and go-tos that you have that need to go. Maybe your habit was to, was to show up to church and to leave church with a, with a critical spirit and not as, as coming and approaching with a full assurance of faith that God is working. Maybe your, <clears throat> maybe your habits and your worship habits have nothing to do with Christianity. Maybe they're all about just the ways that you have tried to self-medicate and tried to deal with your sins and cover your sins on your own. Maybe it's that. Maybe, you, maybe those go-tos of whatever you go to need to go to. <laughs> maybe. But remember, we're pilgrims. We're pilgrims on the way. We're pilgrims as we're looking and approaching, just like the Hebrews, we're approaching this day. The way is open for us by the blood of Jesus to enter into the presence of God, right? We're just like them. We're like, okay, now we need to take faith and hope. Faith being, I know God, when God said the way is open, I believe him. And hope is like, I am anticipating what it's gonna be in that place and that fuels me to keep moving forward and say, I'm not gonna throw away this confession. And maybe the next question is, how, how, how is your confession of our hope, and, and I love the way he puts that, our hope, which is Jesus Christ. How is your confession in the outward sense? I think it's a lot easier for us to be like, okay, my faith is private. But are you dealing with shame and fear as, it, as, you're, as you're interacting with the world? Because guess what? We have to continue to say where our hope is. We have to continue to hold fast our confession of our hope. So, um, like I said, we're going to have a moment after we take communion. We're going to move into communion now. Um, so, uh, Mike, buddy, if... Um, you don't mind kind of working your way up here. Um, we're going to take the bread and the cup as a reminder that this, this way has been opened up for us 
that we have good reason to approach and to press forward. But then also right afterwards, I want you to consider like, how do you need to be prayed for? And after we take communion, the, 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 the designated prayers are going to be standing over here ready for you. So the, through the next couple songs, as you're just um, asking the Lord what you need, how do you need to be encouraged? How do you need to be stirred up? Am I wavering? Am I drifting? Am I, am I pulling back? Am I shying away? Ask for prayer about that. And then also one last thing that I want to exhort you is that um, to take maybe your times at home and to consider how you might just choose maybe one or two people. How can you encourage and stir them up? And just remind them, look, we have a living king. And, and, and again, not just to have like a script that you say to them, but consider maybe just one or two people and think through, who can I call? And just encourage them. Who, who can I say, hey, can we meet for coffee or lunch? Just pick like one or two people this week. And um, we know that this is it's not just showing up here, right? This is the body life, as we talked before about sending you that form so you can fill it out so you know how we can be involved in each other's lives. Consider who that might be and, and how you can know them and, and uh, know how they receive encouragement. So um, as Mike plays this next song, go ahead and grab the elements, come back to your seat, and uh, we'll lead you in uh, taking the elements and then we'll have a time of prayer.